Well, here we are in session number four, and this is uh, our community, the commitments we make to each other. Uh, the final session, you've made it all day long, you have survived, and, and I've noticed from the times on these things that we've, we've done remarkably well in uh, keeping them shorter than normal, believe it or not. <laughs> so... Uh, so we've looked at all the beliefs, our values, what we believe and why, our values, the, the values that shape us and shape our life as a church, uh, and how our doctrine promotes our practice, so to speak, uh, and making the church's framework consistent with the Bible. That's the goal. Uh, so in other words, our theology... Uh, is informing our ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. And so that's the goal. And so the Bible's not ambiguous about the shape or the form of the church. At least we don't think it is. We believe that the Bible speaks pretty clearly to how the church is to be formed and framed. And so today we're talking about uh, just how the church is governed what are the responsibilities of pastors? What are the responsibilities of members? And so just kind of how it looks in a very practical way. So to start off with, we want to talk about how the church is governed. Um, this would be one of those areas where you could look out there in the body of Christ and you could see a number of different types of church government. So you can see congregational, where you know it's, uh, it's pretty much a democratic, democracy-type setup. You can see Presbyterian, uh, which is uh, a different form of government, elders, kind of like elders, rule type of a church. You can see Baptists. Baptists tend to be um, more of a congregational, but they can have a deacon board that runs the church and then a pastor who's brought in and out. You can have all, all kinds of different types of churches. What we're, we believe, what we believe the Bible indicates is what, is we would call an elder-governed church. Uh, an elder-governed church. If you look at the New Testament, you'll see, uh, first of all, a couple of quick things. You'll notice that as you read the New Testament, whenever you see the word elder in the New Testament, it's always in the plural. So you never, you, you rarely, I don't think you ever see in the New Testament the word elder used in a singular sense. It's always plural. And uh, so from that, we've, really come to the conclusion that the the local church is, is to be governed by a plurality of elders, more than one in any church. So that's why we have two full-time pastors. Uh, they don't have to be full-time. That's not uh, required by us. Uh, in our case, it's just always been our history. So we've always had two full-time pastors, and oftentimes we've had someone that we're raising up into pastoral ministry that either uh, becomes vocation, bivocational, meaning they, they don't make their money pastoring, they have another job, but they're a part of the elder board. Uh, so, or they're sent out to plant a church. So, so plurality is an important. The other factor that is important is that when you read in key passages of Scripture, like uh, Acts 20, uh, 1 Peter 5, you'll see that it refers to elders and pastors and overseers. Three different words in the New Testament used to describe 
the, the pastor, the, the local leader of the local church. Those three words are used synonymously in, in those key passages. So there's, not, there's no difference between an elder and a pastor from what we can, we can see in Scripture, or an overseer. They're all, uh, so episkopos, you, you remember, that's where the English word episcopal comes from, that just means to, to look over, someone who's looking over. The uh, pastor, poimen, the Greek word poimen, refers to a pastor like a shepherd in an actual field. Uh, the other presbyteros is the word that we get the English where the word elder comes from. It means an older person, and so, but they're all speaking of the same person. And so, besides having plural elders in every church, we believe that the, that the elder is a pastor, is an overseer. They're all the same person, and so the result of that is that uh, the leadership in the local church is the elders or the pastors. So they are, they are the board. We do not have a board of elders beyond the pastors, like you'd see in many churches. You'd, see a, you'd have a pastor, then you'd have a board of elders that run the church. Well, we would say, no, that those people are the pastors. They should be. And so that's the way we're governed here. Uh, we're at, we, we don't have official deacons. <laughs> we're actually about to institute actual official deacons after... 35 years of being a church. <laughs> we still have never done that, but uh, we're about to do that. Um, but that's, a, that's one of those things where, again, you'll see churches that have a deacon board that run the church, and then the pastor just kind of does ministry stuff. And that, we just don't believe, is a biblical picture, at least not the one we adhere to. So that's how we are governed as a church. Uh, but it's also, the government of the church also involves vitally involved members. So elders bear responsibility, but there's no fundamental distinction between, uh, between an elder and a member. So in other words, elders or pastors are members. I'm a member of this church. And so really, fundamentally, members are together uh, involved in, uh, in the the church as as being a part of what what we do and lead as a church, so there is no mediating class of leaders. So we're not uh, like you might see in the Catholic Church, where there's you know a priest that takes confession and doesn't mediates between them. And that's that's there's no mediating class in the church. We're all members together. We have equal access to God. And so we all possess the Holy Spirit. We're all priests, as we've read in some of the passages even today. We all receive illumination from the Holy Spirit. So elders who are leading the church are dependent upon all the members of the church to get input, understanding, uh, and, and will bring things to members of the church to get input so that they can make wise decisions. So members are vitally involved, all members fully participating uh, in that, and then we have the uh, last area of our uh, church uh, government would be our broader partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. So we're a part, as you have heard already today, part of Sovereign Grace Churches. Sovereign Grace is a uh, group of churches that uh, are all over the nation, all over the world, and we have uh, uh, this broader partnership where we 
have always recognized we, we want to be a part of a group of churches. We want the accountability. We want the shared values together. And we can uh, fully convince we can do more together than we can separately. And so that's the goal of being a part of a group of churches. So I was actually just telling someone a minute ago about uh, our, um, uh, my history uh, of just actually getting into pastoral ministry by accident. Uh, well, we call it an accident, but not really accident. It was God's providence, but uh, I call it pastoral ministry by default. We, I basically, we started a, out of a band. We started a small group of people, started meeting, getting saved, uh, and then that became a church. And then in, uh, in 76, and then in, seven, in 86, went off and planted another church and then came here to a church plant uh, to be a part of this church, which is here now and been here ever since, and, and then planting churches out of here. So um, that all just happened just by, I didn't know what I was doing, had no clue, never aspired to be a pastor, just ended up involved in pastoral ministry and uh, by God's grace. Now, because of our partnership, one of the things that happened way back in the 70s is that we believed fully we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be a church by ourselves. We, want to be, we don't want to be independent. We want to be a part of a family of churches. And that's how we became a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries, which started in 82, and we were basically already in a relationship with these men, and so we became a part of that foundational group of churches. And so that's continued to this day, and I am um, to this day eternally grateful for uh, being a part of a family of churches where there's accountability, uh, a, a common mission together. Uh, we go to conferences like Luke mentioned. We have had pastors and wives conferences for years. Uh, the, the benefit we get from those, the training, the equipping that's taken place has been of just immeasurable benefit. And so really what, what we are as a church here really has a great deal to do with uh, Sovereign Grace ministries, Sovereign Grace churches, and their input and teaching and values into our lives here as pastors. So some of the things that that involves is our global mission. So we're, we're involved in church planting. So there's churches being planted all over the nation. Uh, even as we speak, we're planting. Uh, I was just uh, telling someone here that we're planting a church down in uh, Santa Ana right, right now. Uh, we're involved in helping with that. Uh, there's pastoral training at the pastor's college that's taking place right now where men who feel a call of pastoring on their lives go there and receive a year of training and then go out and do residencies and then ultimately a church plant or whatever it is that they're called to do. We have short-term missions that we do. We have music in the local church. We have uh, uh, quite an extensive music uh, uh, here in Sovereign Grace, uh, they do many recordings. A lot of music that we do on Sunday mornings is written by uh, our uh, family of churches, uh, do some wonderful music. So there's a number of things that we do together like that that are just critical part of what we are. Uh, we're even involved in, in as you already heard, uh, as a church here, we're involved in the Philippines, uh, in Southeast Asia. So we're and I work on a team called the Asia Pacific. Uh, well, we're changing the name of it right now, but it's basically helping uh, churches in foreign uh, that are in other countries. A, a global team of men that are working to 
uh, incorporate uh, churches in other countries into what, what we're doing here. People are constantly wanting to know. So this is something that we're involved in as a church here. And so this is a, that, that's a part of our glory. We have a doctrinal unity. That, that would be what we have now, which we wish we'd have had from the beginning, but we didn't because we were young and didn't know what we were doing. And <laughs> uh, Now we have what's called the BCO, which most denominations would have, and it, that means it's a, it's a book of church order. So it basically defines how we function as a group, and that includes all kinds of things, uh, including over uh, extra-local accountability, like it says here. We have a judicial review uh, system set up in that book of church order that helps us with problems. When churches have problems, it's a, it's a process people can go through. If an individual in a church has a problem with a pastor, they can go through this judicial review committee. They can, they can get help and they can uh, resolve conflicts and things like that. So if we can't resolve something locally here in the church, then it can be appealed to a judicial review, which is in the region, and then if, if it doesn't get resolved adequately in a region, it can be appealed to a court of appeals, which is over the whole nation. And so it's just a, something there to make sure that we have accountability and that even members in the church can feel like, I'm not stuck. If there's a problem here, I can actually find help, uh, especially, let's say, if someone feels like the elders are doing something wrong or something's going south. You know, you can appeal uh, and uh, get help. So there's an extra local accountability. Uh, and so that's, that's, the, that's what this partnership is all about. Uh, and so it's a very important part of who we are uh, as a church and as a body of churches. We also have, as a result of that, a national council of elders, uh, the, council, uh, the COE, Council of Elders, which is one elder from every church in Sovereign Grace that is on the national council board and all decisions and directions for Sovereign Grace Churches comes out of that. And then we have a leadership team, which is a guy named Mark Prater is the president of Sovereign Grace Churches, and he uh, runs a leadership team that has uh, pastoral care, someone over pastoral care, someone over global missions, someone over uh, doctrine, just theology, dif different things on this leadership team. And they provide leadership for the direction of what we're doing and we have a national board that's there elected by the Council of Elders, which basically just makes sure everybody's doing what's in the BCO, in the Book of Church Order. So that's our broader mission, uh, and, and that's basically how the church is led uh, with primarily in every church and even in, in, in Sovereign Grace in general, the, the, the highest level of leadership really is the local elders. They're responsible. And then leadership beyond that comes from them. Secondly is uh, the role and responsibility of pastors. So that's how we are led as a church and how the church is governed. Then we have the role and responsibilities of a pastor. So what does a pastor do? Well, very quickly, uh, a pastor leads. So uh, <laughs> he leads the church. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So in other words, there's this point of ruling. We're, we're called to rule or to lead, and to, we're called to do it well. 
First uh, Timothy, First Peter five two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Uh, so that's again what pastors do. They're exercising oversight. The the word episkopos, epi is a prefix meaning over, and skopos you can just, just scope out. So we're we're over it, scoping everything out. That's our that's a uh, the job of a pastor. And uh, so that's our job, is to lead in the church. It's also to nourish the church. So we're called to uh, bring the word as a primary instrument to nourish the church and make sure people are fed, just like a shepherd would make sure that a sheep, uh, you know, the analogy of a shepherd going and taking, you know, he makes me lie down near uh, still waters, he leads me in fields of green, you know, it's like, we're taking you, we want to give you good food to eat out of the Word of God. And so that's the challenge. First um, Timothy 4, 6, he says, Paul says to Timothy, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So sound doctrine, so that's what we're called to do. Uh, he read last session, 2 Timothy 4, charge you in the presence of God, preach the word. So that's what we're called to preach. We're not called to preach uh, the, the latest fad <laughs> or uh, worldly philosophy. We're here to preach the word. Next is equipping the church. This would be fundamental and it should be fairly obvious, but uh, oftentimes it's not as obvious as it should be, and that is pastors are called to train and equip. People, the people of the church are called to minister. So oftentimes in the world in, in, or in churches, you'll, you know, people will say that they're, they're expecting the pastor to do all the ministry. So visit people in the hospital, visit the sick, visit uh, uh, the old, the elderly, do all this stuff, and they're expecting the pastor to do and in our church, it's like, we're fine, we do that. And I visit people regularly. But bottom line is, we're, 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 we're seeking to equip you to do that. You're the ones that should be going out and ministering to people, caring for people, watching for people that are sick or in the hospital or this or that. And you're the ones. Our job is to equip and train to do that. Uh, so Ephesians 4.11 says, He gave apostles, prophets. We've read this before to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's what we're called to do, equip you to do the ministry. So the, the next thing, and that's why you'll see, like for instance, uh, we do, you've, you might have been aware that we do Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're done with them for this year, but we'll be starting it up in the fall. Sometimes the pastors teach that, sometimes we don't. In fact, if we can get somebody that's equipped to do that, we, we would much rather have somebody else teaching the Sunday school classes because that's, that's what's going to help and serve is people using their gifts like that. So if you haven't been to Gordy's classes yet, make it a point to go. He's just a wonderful teacher and does a great job. So then after equipping the church is shepherding the church. Uh, obviously you can do that. A shepherd is there to protect, provide food, like I said. Uh, a shepherd's called to protect the flock. So to, to keep the flock out of danger. So teaching sound doctrine is an important part of that. Uh, that making sure that it, it's like I said in 1 Timothy 4, 6, it's words of faith and sound doctrine. Uh, we're here to um, 
discern errors and temptations. So be careful. Uh, pastors should be looking out over the culture and saying, watch out for this. Be careful. Don't think like that. I have personally found in this uh, culture today, I find myself constantly going back to social media and challenging people. Watch out. Be careful. You're going to hear. You're going to be hearing all kinds of stuff on social media that's unhealthy, and you're going to be hearing all kinds and reading all kinds of things that aren't true, and so you're going to have to be discerning and careful what you do in a culture like ours, where we, as you heard last session, we embrace complementarian view of scripture, but in our culture, it's anything but that. You know, it's it's uh, they they want to make it. Be like, as if there's no difference between a man or a woman. There's just absolutely no difference. In fact, there's, you don't even have to be a man or a woman. Or if you are a man, you can be a woman. <laughs> or if you decide that you want to be a man, uh, but you are a woman, you can, you know, it's just like the confusion of that culture. And then I was reading an article the other day where there was a young guy in uh, high school that was a, was a, a linebacker on the football team that believed he was a woman, believed he was a girl, and wanted to compete on the women's basketball team. And this guy had the ability to break people's necks, basically. I mean, he could just overpower anybody. But yet they were willing to allow that simply because in the culture it's popular. You can say you are whatever you want to be. You can identify and see that's a real danger, biblically speaking. And that's the job of a pastor is to say, wait a minute, watch out, folks. This isn't right teaching. It's not biblical. Not surprising that the culture would do that. Let's, don't, let's be clear. That shouldn't surprise us. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, uh, It shouldn't surprise us that they'd want to go down that road. But that's not the Bible. And so if we're going to adhere to Scripture, that's, that's what a pastor is called to do is to watch out for errors and discern them and help so, Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Notice that he says two things, be on guard for yourselves, so pastors, watch your own lives. Another uh, is uh, 2 Timothy 4 says, um, uh, pay attention to yourself and to the flock. Uh, guard your life and doctrine carefully. So he's basically saying, pastors, watch out for yourselves. Don't go down roads you shouldn't. And then watch out for the flock. Do the same thing. So be on guard for yourselves and the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And he says, now why? He says, I know that after my departure, Paul says, savage wolves will come in among you. I mean, that's, that's serious. He's saying, you, you're, you're in a position where man... This, some really bad things could come into the flock and destroy you. So, you know, you have churches now that don't even believe in the uh, uh, virgin birth of Christ. Or they don't even believe in the cross any longer. Or they don't even believe that the resurrection needed to actually happen. I mean, see, if it happened, great. If it didn't happen, really, we don't even think that's probably a reality that the resurrection actually happened. But it really doesn't matter because what's most important is that we just love each other. And, you know, so what they've done is they've unhinged themselves from the truth of God's word. 
And so that's, those are kinds of things where we need to watch out and guard the flock of God. And so we're to model that, protecting uh, biblical standards of godliness. And this is where, of course, church discipline could come into play, where pastors are aware that if someone's going off into some kind of an error like that, we can't, we can't let that continue. And we've got to be able to, to keep the, the church pure in that sense. Matthew 18 talks about uh, church discipline. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, if you've won your brother, but if he does not listen to you, take two or, or take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, meaning he needs to be removed from the church. You can't go on thinking you're a Christian if you're not going to be repentant and live a life of obedience. It's just not a reality. But look what he says, how that happens. If a brother sins, go and show him his fault and purpose. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us, but he's talking to everybody. Meaning you don't need a pastor to confront sin. If you see someone in sin, if some... Somebody comes to you and confesses that they are committing adultery with, you know, uh, against their wife. You don't just sit there and, well, gee, that's too bad. I'll pray for you. You know, no. You confront them on their sin. You call them to repentance. If they don't listen to you, you go and get one or two others and take them, and call them to repentance again. If they still don't listen to you, that's when you get the elders involved. Now, it's a fluid process. The elders could be involved at any point. But I just what I want you to hear is that there's a process to go through. That if, if there's something going on, if somebody's involved in sin, you go to the person personally. You don't just talk about them. Start a rumor. Well, what did you hear about? And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're causing division in the body of Christ. That's not what we want. There's a process to go through. So John MacArthur says this, a shepherd's oversight of the flock expresses itself broadly in two ways. First, the shepherds provide truthful, positive direction and leadership for the flock. Second, they watch for spiritual dangers such as sin, false teaching, and false teachers, including Satan's assaults against the church. And then finally, the pastors are called to serve the church. Uh, we're responsible to lead, we're to do it as servants. We would refer to this as servant leadership. Pretty simple. Uh, it's the same way that leadership is to be expressed in the home, where a husband is called to lead the church, like we talked about last session, but he's called to do it as a servant. And so, uh, Mark ten forty three: whoever wishes to become great among you will be what? The servant of all. And so that's the difference when you look at leadership in the local church. It should be servant leadership. It's there to serve, to be an example, as the very next point says. Be an example to the church. So you ought to be able to look at the life of a pastor and not be looking for perfection, but be looking for something of an example that says this is how to live your life. Uh, like I said, not in perfection, but in general, a humility, a willingness to confess sin, a willingness to repent of sin, a willingness to lead your wife in a godly, humble way to raise your children to serve the Lord. And you ought to be able to look at a pastor's life and say, hmm, okay, either I look at that and say, all right, that looks 
kind of like what I think the Bible would make it look, uh, or it doesn't, you know. And like when I grew up in the church that I grew up in, and I grew up in a wonderful church, but it was it was almost a joke to talk about the pastor's children because they were always the most rebellious in the whole church. And it was, just grew up, I shouldn't say that that was uh, across the board, but in general, that was just kind of the way people looked at it. It's like, well, you know, the pastor's kids are just kind of the crazy ones. They go off and do it. It's like, you know, well, there's something wrong with that that, that shouldn't be that way. <laughs> you know, there ought to be something different there. It ought to be uh, uh, a, something in a man's life and, a, and, a, and his wife that have led their children in a way that is a godly example. So that's what we're called to be. We're called to be an example uh, of these things. Uh, so uh, the, that's basically the requirements of a pastor and a, uh, what a pastor does. And it basically all boils down to our church mission statement, which is comes right out of uh, Jesus said, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's basically loving God and the gospel, loving the church, and loving the world. That's what we're called to do here. And it, it can be summarized in that. So next thing is the role and responsibilities of members. So what are what's what's your role as a member in the local church? Uh, what is uh, what's what's specific? Uh, the divine assignment is designed to produce something in a community uh, and be a gospel witness. And what does it look like to be that in the local church? And here at, at Sovereign Grace Pasadena. Well, first of all, it involves giving attention to your personal relationship with the Lord. Not enough could be said about this uh, because everything hinges on this. And that is, are you personally pursuing God? Are you personally spending time reading God's Word? praying, finding your place of service. Those things are so critical. You can't live your life effectively before the Lord if you're not giving attention to your personal relationship with the Lord, communing with the Father in word and prayer. Uh, Jude 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So he He's just putting this right onto the individual believer. Your responsibility is to keep yourself in the love of God, to pursue God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, John 15, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me. Here it is again. Your, your call as a believer is to abide in the Lord. I can't do that for you. No pastor can do that for you. You've got to be the one that's committed to abiding in the Lord, an active abiding, abiding in the Lord. Or as the next passage, 3 John 4, walking in the truth, continually walking in that truth. So give attention to your own relationship with God is your responsibility. Secondly, cultivate love for members of your local church. So you're just constantly, wherever you go as a believer you, in that local church, you're constantly looking to cultivate a love relationship with other people in that church. Small groups, that's what they're all about. They give you a small context to be able to do that. Uh, a new commandment, Jesus said in John 13, I give to you that you love one another. And then you remember what it says, you shall know them by what? You'll know them by their love for one another. Uh, 
Okay, so, so critical that that's what we're doing. By the love you show one another, the world will know that you belong to me, John says. And so this is what basically is community. We're living out a community, life together. Uh, Christ-like love among the well, um, elders, and it's a compelling evangelistic witness. When the world sees that, when the world sees what's going on. We were out last week moving uh, a family that's moving back east, and we were loading this truck, and there was a family in the, uh, in the neighborhood that was just walking by, and I was watching their faces as they're walking by. And more than that, they stopped and they were asking, and like they're looking at this, and they're seeing this moving truck, but they're seeing these bunch of people that don't look like movers. So what is this, you know? And they're finding out, well, this is our church. This is just what we do. We move each other. We help each other out. Uh, if they have if around very long on your neighborhood, they've probably seen you have hospitality, have people over to your house, or you've had them over to your house. Oh, yeah, this is just what we do. Uh, somebody has a baby. We're supplying two weeks worth of meals. Oh, well, that's just weird. Uh, well, that's just what we do. It's just a part of the body of Christ. And it's just a compelling witness to the world when we love each other like that. It makes, as Paul said, he uses the words, adorns the gospel. It makes the gospel beautiful when we live our lives like that. So cultivating love for members in the church. Uh, for faithfully, next thing, faithfully participating in the Sunday meeting. So this probably sounds a little bit like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, why do we need to talk about that? But again, this is where our culture comes into play because in our culture, it's just not, it's just not popular to be committed to something like that where you're just going to be there. He says this in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good work. So we're stirring each other up, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Isn't that interesting? There's nothing new under the sun. Even back in the New Testament days, people had a habit of just neglecting coming to church, neglecting being with God's people. And so he says we should be encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the life of the church isn't limited to a meeting but there's no more significant aspect of our church life than being together, worshiping together, hearing the Word of God together, hearing the Word of God preached, declaring our dependence on God and our trust in God, singing the truths of God's Word. We sing songs that are so rich. I mean, you could just go through the worship time and have heard the preaching of the gospel in the words of the songs if you're paying attention, singing the words of God's truth, participating in the sacraments, seeing the Word of God, seeing the truth demonstrated, edifying one another through the gifts of the Spirit. I'm sure they talked about it, but you know, when people come up there to the front and they share something uh, at the front, at that microphone, that's what we call the gift of prophecy, where people are getting something, they're feeling the Spirit's giving them something for the whole church. Well, chances are you're never going to hear that again. If you miss it that Sunday, it's not like that thing's going to be said again sometime. That was a unique grace of the Spirit at that moment. And then contributing to the ministry of the church financially, where Sundays are there so that we can contribute and make sure that the church is able to do the mission that we're called to do. So that is the pattern you see throughout the New Testament. Uh, 
And so it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. In other words, they came together to do this. And it says they did it in the temple and house to house. That's where we get our concept for community groups or small groups. Is that we see twice in the New Testament where it says they did it in the temple and house to house. So they were having this corporate meeting and then they were having small meetings in houses. That's what it appears like. So that's where the pattern for that comes from. So And it, and it says in Acts 2, devote yourselves. So that... Sunday meeting, being uh, faithfully participating. Next, supporting the church financially. This is what the Bible, the New Testament, calls stewardship, where you're faithfully using your resources uh, that actually belong to another. So who do they belong to? Well, they belong to the Lord. And we believe uh, that as we look at the New Testament, we believe that all that God, all that we have is given to us by God. Now, we would believe that even for an unbeliever out there. <laughs> they wouldn't believe that, but we would say, well, bro, I'll tell you what, everything you have comes directly from God. Don't take it for granted because God could take it at any moment. Uh, and oftentimes it happens. But this isn't important. It's, it's, it's a stewardship of somebody else's money. So all that we have is from God, and so he's called us to use that to support the local church to provide for the local church and for the ministry of the local church. Uh, so, And it's even beyond that. In Luke 16.10, you see, he who is faithful in a very little thing will be faithful also in much. And then it goes on to say, he who is faithful in, in unrighteous mammon, which is referring to money. That's referring to physical wealth. He's saying, if you're faithful in that, then you will be given true spiritual riches. I know that's a significant thing to say. Can you imagine that? He's tying, Luke is tying specifically managing your finances for the glory of God and you will get true spiritual riches. So he's really tying spiritual wealth and physical wealth. How you do one is going to affect the other. That's why we are not ashamed to teach on this and to talk about finances because it's actually to your spiritual health as a person, as an individual, as a family, that you are giving and giving faithfully and regularly. So that's the substance of it is we're, we're called by God to support the work. In the Old Testament, it was called a tithe. They gave 10% of everything they got uh, to the Lord. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a practice. The tithing practice even began before the law. So it was instituted before the law even came into existence. And it was formalized by the law of Moses. So it, tithing embodies many principles carried into the New Testament, which is just simply consistent giving and giving to support the ministry and the, and the mission of the local church. So these, though the, the New Testament doesn't specifically refer to the tithe, although Jesus refers to the tithe, and says, when he tells the Pharisees, uh, oh, you're so careful to tithe of all the, remember this passage where he says, the mint, the dill, and the cumin? I don't know quite. Uh, those are, um, uh, what do you call them, spices, right? <laughs> like, he's saying, he's saying, you're so careful to tithe of all those things, but you've missed the greater important things of the law, like love. But, but he says there, he says, you're so careful to tithe of the mint, and dill, and communion. And then he says, 
and so you should be. So Jesus is actually underscoring the importance of tithing. But he goes on to say there's, there's even more important things than that. But that's the, the, the principle in Scripture. So oftentimes you see in the New Testament what the New Testament, what the Old Testament speaks of, uh, the New Testament will actually amplify it. For instance, Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said that you shall not be angry, or I mean you should not commit murder. So we all know that. Okay, don't commit murder. So I doubt if anybody in this room's murdered anybody, okay? I don't know that for a fact, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trusting that none of you are murderers. But, but Jesus said, he, he amplifies it in the news. He said, if you've been angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So he's actually taking an Old Testament law and he's saying, it's way worse than you think. All you have to do is get angry with someone. In other words, he's basically wanting to make it so clear that it's all about what's going on in our hearts. And that's the same thing is true with tithing and giving. What the law says, you should do this. The New Testament just says, hey, we should look what happened in the New Testament. They were selling lands. They were doing everything, making it available for, for the church, for the poor. It's just a normal part of life. So the work of stewardship involves supporting individuals, caring for each other, uh, supporting the church's leader. First uh, uh, Corinthians 9 says, Do you not know that those who have been employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial alterings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So in other words, church leaders, not all the time are they full-time, uh, but we, in Sovereign Grace, really want pastors to be, if at all possible, full-time, on staff, because it frees them up to do the work of the service. The only way they're going to be able to do that is if people are supporting regularly the local church. Giving to support the extension of the gospel, you know, work in the Philippines, places that we go, we've, we regularly do that here. Uh, so the practice of tithing is a helpful starting point, but it really goes way beyond that. It's the heart of stewardship. What he says right there, giving is to be generous, giving is to be enthusiastic, giving is to be deliberate, giving is to be discreet, giving is to be with faith. And so that's, that's another one of those things that we're called to do as members. And that includes us as pastors and everybody else. Next is following the church's pastoral leadership. Once again, when you think about this, you're dealing with things like individualistic culture. It's just not normal for our culture to think this way, to go down these roads, but this is normal biblical culture. So it's, it's a faith-filled submission. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Imagine if this got out on the internet. <laughs> this is the way you do it in church. Oh my gosh. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, and let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So this is what we're called to do. We're called to obey leaders. We're called to submit to them. Not only uh, uh, us here in this church, it, this is a call to me too as a member of this church. Obey my leaders. I do the same thing when I think of leaders that in sovereign grace, I'm looking to them and I'm 
in a general way, basically I'm submitting to their leadership. Now, I'm not submitting to anything that's unbiblical, even like I would not encourage anybody to, to submit to leaders that call you to do something that's unbiblical. So it's no different than the home. I would say to a wife, you don't listen to a husband who's telling you to do something unbiblical. You know, you just don't do that because we have a higher authority in God. But submission is an attitude. It's a disposition to affirm and support the leadership of the local church. It doesn't mean blind passivity it just, but, or blind obedience. Rather, it's an expression of faith towards God. You trust God to be working in leaders' lives. So another way you can do that, expressing support of the leadership, is ministry of prayer for your pastors and the church. Be constantly praying for us for the pastors, for any place you're at. Be praying for those leaders to have grace and the, uh, the, that God be at work in their lives. Another one is God-honoring appreciation of, of, of those who are leading. Look for ways to show honor and appreciation. It's a normal part of New Testament life. Uh, Paul says, show honor to those whom honor is due. So, pursue God-honoring. The next thing, pursuing God-honoring relationships. So uh, Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. So we want to reflect this holiness, His holiness in our lives, personally and corporately in our speech and conduct. And that's going to be upholded and strengthened by God-honoring relationship. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupting uh, talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up that fits the occasion. And then he goes down later, uh, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In other words, in our relationships in this local church, we're, we're, we wanted to honor God how we treat each other. We want to be, forgiveness is a normal part of life. We don't talk about one another. We don't gossip or slander here. If you've got a problem, you go to a person personally. You bring it up personally. Then if some reason you can't resolve it, then go get someone else and get them involved. But don't start talking about it and spreading it. That's the kind of things that we don't want to see happen. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's the living out of the kingdom of God uh, in a daily way. Next thing would be receiving new members and pursuing straying members. Now, this might sound a little bit strange to you. You may, may not have thought about, well, oh, this is my responsibility as a church member. Uh, you'd think, okay, well, that's leadership and that what they're supposed to do. Well, yeah, we're all supposed to be doing this. Uh, we're all supposed to be pursuing new members. So you're now, uh, if you go through the rest of this process and you become members here, uh, part of your job is to Pursue new members, people that are walking in that door on a Sunday morning. Those are people that are looking. They're just like you were at one point, looking around, saying, I'm looking, maybe. Maybe they're just here because they're from out of state. You never know. Uh, but that's where you want to know. So you're pursuing people. You're getting to know them. You're wanting, you don't want, you don't want to get so comfortable. Let me put it this way. You don't want to get so comfortable building relationships with people you know that you forget that there's new people walking through those doors every Sunday. And so you always find the time 
to reach out to new people and incorporate them into your relationships or into your small group or whatever is the case. So we affirm new members. When new members are coming in, if you go finish this process, then in about a month, probably Ron will stand up in front of the church and say, we want to introduce some new members and you will be introduced. Your names and they'll have you stand so that people can see your face, get a name with a face, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that's part of what we do is we're affirming new members. Uh, and then you get added to the church directory. <gasps> that's, Actually, it's pretty awesome. that's like the deal. <laughs> so we make a big, we make a, a fun of that all the time. But uh, <laughs> you only get in the church directory if you become a member. And, uh, and we need your picture right there beside your name so that everybody can... <laughs> Uh, connect you, uh, and that's important. I mean, it, I make it, I make fun of it, but it's an important <laughs> part of our life is that we know who are the members here. And the good thing about having the picture in the directory is that you can go through there and get to know people before you even meet them on Sunday morning. You can go through and you can look. And so I have people all the time say, "Yeah, but I just don't know who's a member here," and I feel funny if I. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, uh, are you new here? And, oh, no, I've been here for 20 years. And, oh, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry about that. Uh, well, you can go through that church directory and get some names or faces and just all automatically know, oh, I think I recognize that guy. Yeah, you know. And, and uh, so, uh, but in the end, you know, we're just, we're, we are to be humble people. Just go up and meet people that you, that you don't know. And if it turns out they're a church member, all the better. You just got to know someone that you didn't know before. And if it turns out they have first time walking in the door, um, all the better there because now you can welcome them, invite them, tell them about your community group, ask them questions like, hey, you, are you just... Because I will just... I do this all the time. I, I just pretty much avoid members in the church on Sunday mornings and I'm <laughs> focused in on new people all the time. So I just do the same thing. I just say, hey, good to see you. Is this your first time here? Oh, okay. Uh, are you on vacation? Or, uh, no, we live just right around the corner, been kind of searching for a church. Or sometimes they say, yeah, we're just you know, out of town, and we heard we were looking for a church. And that's what you hear most of the time. You hear, oh, yeah, I just went online and, and Googled uh, Reformed Church, and this is what I came up with. And, you know, it's looked like, great, glad to have you. Where do you work? Do you work, live local? You know, you just, you just get to know them. And then if, if you can, uh, invite them out to lunch. Say, hey, listen, we're just, uh, just going to go out to lunch. You want to join us today? And this, my wife and I do this all the time. Just say, hey, we're just going to grab something to eat. You want to come? And oftentimes they say no. But if they say no, that's okay because they just walk out of that door going, wow. That was the first time I ever went to church and got invited to lunch the first day I was there. And, you know, you've scored points, <laughs> and all you did was invite somebody to lunch. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And all the better if they say yes, then you get to know them. So it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful life. But then also, under receiving members and pursuing straying members, is pursuing members who are straying. So in other words, when I say that, you're not consciously walking into Sunday looking around who here is straying? <laughs> How do you know someone's straying? Well, chances are you haven't seen them in a month. <laughs> so someone in your community group, and you're realizing, 
wow, I haven't seen him in a month. And this happens to me all the time. Now, I, I'm a pastor, so I'm a little bit more aware. But I'll, I'll just, just this last week, I went down and wrote down a couple of names of people that I, I thought, you know, I haven't seen them. I wonder what's going on, what, if everything's okay. Just give them a call. Just find out. Hey, how you doing? Everything okay? I haven't seen you in a little bit. And, uh, you know, there's usually always a good reason for it. They were out of town, vacation. Who knows what it is? Uh, but oftentimes you find out, oh, they were in the hospital for two weeks. Really? What? How come I didn't know about that? What? And then you're suddenly you're, you're, you're connected in. You're finding out what you can do. What? So you're pursuing. But maybe it's because they're stumbling in some area of sin. Maybe it's because they're embarrassed, because they've uh, fallen back into a pattern of life that's unhealthy. And you're the first one to find out. And you can say, hey, listen, well, you want to get together? I'd, let's go to Starbucks and let's just talk. And you're the one reaching out. And maybe that involves getting a pastor involved eventually. Not even for discipline purposes, as much as just pastoral care and things like that. Okay, so pursuing those members. And if you look on page 62, you'll see the church, the, the, the addendum on church discipline. Now, I want to encourage you. We're not going to take the time to read through it and go over it. But I encourage you to read that thoroughly uh, because uh, we take church discipline seriously. We rarely, but we have had occasions where we've had to go through the whole process where we're actually basically removing someone's membership to let them know you're, you're, unless there's repentance, you can't be a part. What you need to know about church discipline is, bottom line, church discipline is all about restoration. It's not about get someone out of the church. It's to get them back, back into a loving relationship with the Lord, back into loving relationship with God's people. That's what the point is. It's not about... We need purity in the church. Well, that's true. But that's not the primary motive. It's to draw them back to a place of health. And so read through that uh, and, and know that carefully. Um, the last thing, or the next thing here is participate in evangelistic relationships and discipleship relationships. So throughout the year, we have events that are going on there. You can invite people to, that don't know the Lord to come and they'll hear the gospel. You can invite them on a Sunday morning. But even more than that, you're personally reaching out to the lost. Whether it's your neighbors, people at your work, uh, people on the block, uh, what, at school, whatever it is, that you're taking the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with other people. And taking that seriously. And then looking for discipleship relationships. If you have an opportunity, you get to meet someone. This is where Jose and I have been able to connect. And, you know, when he came in, he was just coming to faith in Christ. And so it's like, boom, we're just meeting together. And uh, and not only me, but there's a couple other guys in the church that have done that. Bill, Luke, both the guys, that's true. So that are just looking for a young believer or someone that's brand new in the faith that want to disciple and want to grow in the Lord, that we're looking for those kinds of relationships in our lives. And in fact, would believe and encourage that everyone should have those relationships. You should have people that you're reaching out to uh, in discipleship. So finally, what's the significance of our church membership agreement? Uh, we have a church membership agreement. Uh, it's a statement of 
of faith summarizes what we believe and teaches uh, as a, at the, what the Bible teaches. And a membership agrees, gives expression to how we commit to live together. Uh, so if you go to, I think it's page 53 in your book, this is the membership agreement. And I just want to, to basically read this. Uh, this is how the membership agreement works. Uh, it's an agreement by those who are becoming members that they're going to be accountable to this, to the, basically to the truth of Scripture. You're not going to find anything in there but that's a truth of Scripture. Agreeing to hold each other accountable to these things, to take responsibility for one another. So by finishing this membership process, you're basically consenting to this agreement. So uh, you may have heard uh, Sharon shared on last Sunday, you know, we don't have this document that you have to sign, which I have nothing against that. I just, we just don't do that here. We don't actually require a signature. But what we do do is say, we have this membership agreement. We're going to read it right now. And when you become a member, you're agreeing to this. This is what you're saying. I will agree to this. So let me just read it, and you can just follow along. So our membership agreement. Having been bought, brought by God's sovereign grace to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and His saving work, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we do now, relying on His grace, solemnly and joyfully affirm our commitment to each other. We will pray and labor to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, devoted to the glory of God, resting in the gospel of His Son, and dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. Sound pretty complicated so far? <laughs> pretty straightforward, right? Just the Bible. To that end, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but will faithfully attend corporate worship, treasuring the church's gathering to sing, pray, and receive the whole counsel of God's Word, we will defend and maintain gospel-centered ministry in this church by upholding and attending to biblical preaching and the administration of the sacraments and exercise of church discipline. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a local church. We will serve one another, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and reject all opportunities to speak or hear gossip, or slander. We will instead seek to encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek to proclaim and adorn the gospel of Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors and faithfully transfer the gospel to future generations. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of our local church to the care of our members, and to the spread of the gospel locally and to all nations. We will, if we move from this place, and this would be an important one, we will, if we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the teaching of God's word. And finally, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. That's basically our church agreement. Actually, when I read that, that sounds pretty nice. That sounds like a club that 
I'd love to pay my dues for. Love to be a part of something like this where we're caring for each other. We're looking out for one another's lives. We are being held accountable to the, to the Word of God and to, to the truth of God's Word. So that's what it means to be a member of the church here. Now, we are officially done with the class. What's next? Well, in your book, you have a thing somewhere back there called a, what is it called? Sovereign Grace Church of Pasadena New Membership. That's a mouthful. Sovereign Grace New Member Biographical Information Sheet. (laughs) Basically, it just means uh, name, address, phone numbers, whatever, children's names, stuff like that. Here's, Here's how it works. If, having gone through the class and having been a part of the church for a season now, you decide, I, I want to become a member here. And I agree with this statement that we just read, this church agreement, and I want to be a member. Fill this thing out and either leave it with me today or get it back to me whenever you get the chance. Then what will happen is that Ron will contact you. Ron's the other pastor. He's the one. You know who Ron is. Uh, he'll contact you, and Ron will schedule a meeting with you to meet with you. And that will just be kind of like a membership interview, for lack of a better phrase, where he'll just get to know you, find out. You'll discover that's one of Ron's favorite things to do, just sit down and hear your testimony and how you came to the Lord and, and affirm the fact that this is where God's called you to be. So that meeting will take place, and then when, when you've had that meeting with Ron, then the last step will be to have, um, have you introduced the church and the infamous or famous church directory inclusion. <laughs> so you, at that point, you have officially made it. <laughs> so uh, that's the process, and that's what we do here. So uh, just want to leave that with you. You can fill that out. If you want to leave it with me, if you want to take it home, pray about it, think about it, uh, whatever the case Whenever you get it back to me, that's or you can hand it to Ron, that's when he'll contact you at some point to meet with him. So let's pray as we close this, and then we'll have some questions and answers. Lord, thank you for this, really, for me, uh, one of the unique privileges of my year is to meet with folks and to pray with them and to pray with them and to teach the Word of God and to see people Uh, taught about church membership where they can become effective church members. Uh, Just pray that you'll lead and guide each one of them into the center of your will. Uh, Do this for your own glory in Jesus' name. Amen.